Um, I don't know if you heard the announcement. Were they saying that the power is going to get shut off or? Okay. Well, let's see how we go. Worst case scenario, we've got um, the white Bibles in front of us. And so we won't try and rely too heavily upon the, uh, on the PowerPoint. And uh, we've tried to raise the blinds. So hopefully there's enough light in here. If, uh, if the fire does go off, we'll, we'll be able to see. Um, Sorry, Ben, I'm undoing all of your hard work. <laughs> okay. So this week, um, I was reading an interview, and let's see. Actually, the most important slide is the first slide. Let's see if we can get there. All right, cool. Um, this is the one thing I... I need for the PowerPoint. Um, I was reading an interview that Relevant Magazine did with uh, someone named Russell Brand. I'm just curious, how many of you are familiar with Russell Brand? Okay, there's a number of you. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with this individual, uh, he's a comedian, he's an actor, he's a social activist. And just to give you an idea of what he's like, in 2013, GQ invited him to their Men of the Year Awards to receive something called the Oracle Award. And uh, the event was sponsored by Hugo Boss. And so if you can picture, there's like this massive, massive stage, and then there's this uh, background that says GQ, and then Hugo Boss everywhere. And uh, as Brand went, up, uh, went into his acceptance speech, he went on to say, any of you who know a little bit about history and fashion will know that Hugo Boss made the uniforms for the Nazis. He continued on by saying, the Nazis did have flaws, but you know, they did look fantastic, let's face it, while they were killing people on the basis of their religion and sexuality. So later on, he got kicked out of the event, and the GQ editor said, what you did was very offensive to Hugo Boss. And he responded, what Hugo Boss did was very offensive to the Jews. <laughs> so that's a snapshot into his personality. Now, in the interview with Relevant Magazine, Brand said that he believes the world needs Jesus' message now more than ever. And he continued to share about how and why that message was meaningful or is meaningful in his life. Here's what he says. I say the Lord's Prayer every day. I try to connect to what those words mean. I connect to what the Father means. I connect to what wholeness means to me. I think about the relationship between forgiveness and being forgiven and the impossibility of redemption until you are willing to forgive and let go. You know, there are teachings in Christianity that make a lot of sense. There are practices that are incredibly powerful and attractive to the secular world, and forgiveness falls into that category. So this week, we're finishing our series on the life of Joseph, and today's sermon is entitled, Lessons from the Life of Joseph, Learning to Forgive. Now, if you eliminate all the times in Scripture where God forgives, if you eliminate all the times in Scripture where we are told to forgive, 
there are actually very few occurrences or examples in the Bible where followers of God forgive each other. So think in your mind. Just get rid of all the Bible verses that tell us to forgive. Get rid of all the moments where God forgives and think, how many times can you think of stories where Bible characters forgive each other? And there are just very, very few occurrences. And so for that reason, I think the story of Joseph offers some valuable insights into how to forgive and what forgiveness actually means. So as a quick recap or an overview of the story of the life of Joseph, um, over the past month, we've been reading about how Joseph's brothers dislike him so much. They sell him into slavery to slave traders. He ends up in Egypt. He works for a man named Potiphar, and he does nothing wrong, but he still gets thrown into prison. And then while in prison, through a series of circumstances, uh, circumstances Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. And uh, due to a famine throughout Palestine and Egypt, Joseph comes in contact once again with his brothers. And he is now an adult. He's someone who has power and influence. And the question is, how is he going to respond to his enemies, if you will? He has a chance to get even, but instead he practices forgiveness. So let's look one more time at the story of Joseph and read about forgiveness. Now, there are two principles uh, to practice. Um, uh, there are two principles in practicing forgiveness. Uh, the first one is invite God into your pain. And in this story, Joseph invites God into his pain. Now, I know I told you that initially there are two points, but each point has subpoints, And so I don't, know if, I don't know if I elevated your expectations of a shorter sermon. But anyway, um, just it was easier to organize it that way for some reason in my mind. So the sub point of inviting God into your pain is process or excuse me, inviting God into your immediate or into your pain allows you to process immediate pain. So inviting God into your pain allows you to process immediate pain. Joseph invites God into his life. And in the story, the Bible says that Joseph receives dreams at an early age and he knows that God has special plans for his life. Later on, as he sold into slavery, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph and God gave him success. And so there are moments where Joseph recognizes the very presence of God in his immediate difficult circumstances. And here's what it does for him. Inviting or acknowledging God in his pain allowed Joseph not to let the past keep him from seeing the opportunities of the present. He doesn't let fear from past experiences keep him from making the most of the present. Yes, there was plenty to be upset about, and there were also moments of hope, but there were also moments of hope. Joseph sees that God is there, even though the circumstances are terrible. So Joseph inviting God into his life, into his pain, allows him to process the immediate pain. But inviting God into your pain also allows you to perceive pain from the past. If you go to Genesis chapter 45, in those white Bibles that are in front of you, we're going to be kind of going through this chapter or jumping around in this chapter. So Genesis chapter 45, and this is page 41 in the white Bibles. Genesis chapter 45. <clears throat> 
And in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph confronts his brothers and he reveals to them who he is. Who he is. Up until this point, um, Joseph is the governor of Egypt. His brothers just think he's the governor of Egypt. He walks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. And so, um, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing when I wrote it, but I was like, I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, Joseph speaks Hebrew, and he says, I'm your brother, the one whom you sold into slavery. And if you look at verses 7 and 8, Notice how Joseph perceives the painful past. He says, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Joseph knows that God is with him, and that changes the perception of how he interprets the past. So because Joseph invites God into his pain, Joseph believes that his pain had a purpose. And to go one step further, I would even say Joseph sees his pain as a part of God's plan, and in a strange way that helps him reconcile with his brothers. Now, I realize this is a bit challenging because it's really difficult to determine what bits God did and what bits God didn't do. Um, In Genesis chapter 37, verse 20, we read that his brothers wanted to kill him. And right after that, some slave traders come and the brothers decide, you know what, let's just just sell him into slavery. And it could have been that God was bringing the slave traders to save Joseph. Um, It could have been that God kind of You know, it's really difficult to determine what it is that God did. And in bringing up this principle, I'm not really trying to present a case for predestination versus free will. But what I want to do is highlight that for Joseph, he sees that he wasn't abandoned by God in moments of difficulty. He sees that God was there the whole time. And this allows Joseph to forgive because while his brothers tried to hurt him, God's presence meant that the effects of their actions did not ruin him. <clears throat> I'm just going to, is the mic loud enough or should I like talk louder than the, brrr? all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my best to try and overcome the, um, the disruption. Okay, so here's the relevance for today. While people hurt us, and we can't stop people from hurting us, if we invite God into our pain, God promises that he will be with us. And we are not always protected from painful experiences, but the promise of God's physical presence in eternity is there so that we can claim the promise of the future today. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, the worst that people can inflict upon us cannot ruin us because of the promise of eternal life. So if somebody swindles a million dollars from you, but later God makes you a trillionaire, that would change how you perceive the past loss, if that makes sense. 
Yay. Oh, wait. No. Oh. No, that means that the power is on. Good. Yay. <laughs> okay. So, forgiveness becomes easier when you realize the pain that was inflicted upon you did not do to you what you thought it would do. See, when someone hurts us, the immediate response, or not the immediate response, sometimes the response can be and then leave. Like, the natural response is to do a little bit more because I've already taken that step. And I just kind of said, hey, Appa, look, I'm sorry for the way that I've been treating you. And my dad gets out of his chair and he gives me this giant hug and he goes, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm such a bad father. Like, I'm such a bad father. I'm so sorry. And there was that moment of just this deep sense of forgiveness and acceptance and oddly conviction at the same time of like, even though my dad was forgiving and accepting me, it highlighted um, just the way that I'd been treating him. And like, it was kind of this very holy moment where I actually felt reconciled to my dad. And it was it was kind of like a domino effect of first pausing, going over and just kind of touching him on the shoulder, and the rest kind of followed. And so in the story of Joseph, what he does is he's not ready to give his heart yet, but he's willing to put money and extra food in his brother's, um, I guess, sacks of food. And, and that kind of triggers the rest of the forgiveness that's about to take place. And so forgiveness is a process, but give what you can give what you can oh ben you're brilliant okay second sub point it's okay to struggle with forgiveness but be committed to it it's okay to struggle with forgiveness but be committed to it genesis chapter 42 and we're going to read verses 6 to 9 verses 6 to 9 Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. And the story continues. I'll just narrate while you're reading. He says, you are spies. And what he does is he takes them and he throws them in prison for three days. Then he tells them, bring your youngest brother, but he keeps one of the brothers in prison as collateral. And when the brothers bring back Benjamin, his youngest brother, Joseph goes through this testing phase to see if his brothers are the same selfish, insecure lot uh, they were when he was young. And it's interesting to me that by this point, Joseph knows that God has a plan in all of this in his life. He knows what God was doing, but he still kind of goes through the charade. Like he still treats them as spies. He still throws them in prison. He still keeps one of his brothers. And it's kind of like, why do you have to go through that if you know that this is God's plan? And the point here is that Joseph struggles with forgiveness. But in this story, it's okay because it's it's a human response to struggle with forgiveness. But Joseph stays committed to it. And I think sometimes we see forgiveness as something that is required in a moment. You've got to forgive now. And uh, this is one verse that comes to, my, uh, comes to my, my mind, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. And basically it's saying, if you do forgive, then good, God forgives you. 
But if you don't forgive, well, you're not forgiven either. And so there's kind of this like, oh, no, I got to forgive now, 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 now. But the reality is that forgiveness is difficult. And forgiveness is a process. I think it's worth it to spend some time defining forgiveness because sometimes it's actually, it's a bit of a vague word. Like, what does it mean to actually forgive? There's a definition here in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. It says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So from this verse, Paul is saying forgiveness is taking on a new identity that is found in Christ and letting go of the need to retaliate. Often when we have been hurt, the pain creates a label or identity. For example, somebody broke up with me. I feel unattractive. I'm not good enough. Or I was bullied and treated poorly. I am weak. I'm a reject. But forgiveness is first dwelling on what God's forgiveness means to you. I am loved. I am valued. I have purpose. I am royalty. What Joseph's brothers did to him would have made Joseph feel like a pesky, conceited brat. But a relationship with God turned him into a governor of Egypt, distinguished, wise, mature. And it's in that new identity that Joseph was then able to let go of the desire to retaliate. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Let go of all bitterness and evil. How? Well, focus on what the forgiveness of Christ means to you. There's a saying, bitterness is the poison we drink, hoping somebody else will die. But the antidote to that poison is the love of God. Forgiveness is available as a new identity is formed, and it takes time and circumstance for that to take place. I remember the first time I was in a serious relationship, or I thought it was a serious relationship. I thought, could this person potentially be my life partner? Hope's high. I was like, oh, this could be amazing. Like, I'm so into this person, and she's amazing. And um, long story short, great disappointment. Great, great disappointment. Just shattered afterwards. I just kind of felt so, like, hurt and so not valued. And it, years, I shouldn't, I shouldn't make it sound like it was like 10, 150 million years, but it was just like what felt like a very long time, I just always felt this sense of insecurity. But it's amazing that there were little things that happened as the years kind of progressed, like God would communicate different things. And in doing so, it kind of reshaped Ident- it reshaped my identity. And so when I met Jinha, it was kind of like, hey, here's this amazing person. And that was kind of like the final, like, hey, it's okay. You do have value. You met somebody that was amazing. It was kind of like, all right, woohoo, go team. Run. And so there was kind of this reshaping of identity. I don't know how else to communicate that, but you know what I'm saying. There was happiness. <laughs> and, and the point is that 
because the identity was reshaped and there was no longer that sense of I don't have value, when I saw the other person that hurt me, it was so much easier to be able to let go and say, you know what, when we went through that, it kind of sucked. But I'm able to let go of that now and I'm actually friends with that individual. Sometimes I think we feel pressured as Christians to forgive immediately. And as a result, I think sometimes Christians stay in abusive relationships. Christians allow themselves to be taken advantage of. But forgiveness is not supposed to be a practice that enables abuse. It's a means to healing so that we can become strong. Oftentimes we get forgiveness and reconciliation mixed up. See, reconciliation is when a broken relationship is reestablished. Trust, openness, and vulnerability is practiced by both parties. But forgiveness is not making yourself vulnerable. It's realizing your new identity in Christ and letting go of your need to retaliate. Joseph didn't dwell on what was taken away from him. He focused on what was in front of him. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. So, forgiveness, once you realize that new identity of Christ, you're able to let go of that need to retaliate. So, in summary, forgiveness are two things. One, or there are two principles of practicing forgiveness. Sorry, this is so distracting. (laughs) Invite God in your immediate pain. And two, realize that forgiveness is a process. You'll be amazed at what God does in your life. May God bless you as you practice these two things.